Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your wonderful presence and your steadfast love in our lives. Lord, our hope is not in ourselves, it's in you. Who you are, your heart of love, your works of grace toward us and your son Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection for us, the forgiveness of all of our sin and new life now and forever for all who believe. Our hope is in you, God, your heart, your work of grace, your promise of hope. And today, God, we seek you and we surrender to you. We desire you above all things. Lord, you are better than gold, you are sweeter than honey. God, you are the one our hearts desire. And so this morning, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us with your presence. That This might be a time that we really enjoy just being with you. Lord, minister to us today in the ways that only you can. And I pray all of this for the glory of your name and for the good of us, your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. It's great to see you guys this morning. I'm Barrett Bowden, uh, one of the pastors here, and I'm incredibly grateful that you're here today. Uh, We love you very much as a church, but more than that this morning, I want you to know that God loves you. He truly does. He cares about you more than you will ever know, and he loves you to a degree that you cannot even imagine. And I pray this morning that you know that he loves you and that you would just rest in his love for you in Jesus Christ. Well, we are going to be continuing a series this morning. Are you all ready for it? We're going to be continuing our series in 2 Samuel. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of 2 Samuel this morning. We're going to be in chapters 5 and 6, and we're going to be continuing our series in this book. We love studying books of the Bible here at ICC, and I hope that you're one who loves the Bible, uh, God's precious word to us. But this morning, we're going to be continuing our series, Redeeming Grace, and over and over and over throughout this series, we're going to be talking about that main theme of our series, and the theme of our series we've been saying is this, God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. Would y'all say that with me this morning as we remember and reflect on this theme of 2 Samuel? God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. The hope of our lives is not that we're great people. Of course, this book is all about the life and the leadership of David, but David was broken as a man, as a leader. He had tons of trouble, he had tons of sin, he had conflict to deal with. The story at the end of the day is not a great story because David was a great person, but because our God is a faithful and redeeming and gracious God. And the hope of our lives is not that we're great people, could ever do enough or be enough. The hope of our lives is that we put our hope in a God who is faithful, 
who is gracious and who is redeeming. And that is our prayer as we go through this book week after week. This morning, we're gonna be looking at the topic and I really would like for you If you can, at all possible, unless you just genuinely cannot learn unless you're taking notes or writing, I would encourage everybody else to find a way to take notes this morning. You've got to fasten our seatbelt. This is an incredible passage that we're going to be studying today, and there are so many truths for us to learn. And there's just no way possible, I don't think, unless you're taking notes for you to actually retain what is here. I hope this morning to cover this topic, Seeking Grace Subtitle, Honoring God in Truth. Seeking grace, honoring God in truth. This morning, as we look at the passage, and we're gonna read it right now, but as we look at the passage, we're gonna be seeing several, like many opportunities, uh, many lessons, okay? There's several stories within these two chapters, but each of them holds an opportunity for us to know more of God his heart for us, his desires for us, and, and more of what it looks like to respond to a faithful and redeeming and gracious God by seeking him and his grace. If you've got your Bible, like I said, 2 Samuel chapter 5, starting our passage today is chapter 5, verse 6 through chapter 6, all the way to the end, verse 23. But I'm actually going to start back at verse 1 of chapter 5 in our reading today, and I read from the English Standard Version. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to read along with me. Starting in verse 1, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David as king over Israel. Now David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. And therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, and built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, 
Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elusha, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them to me in my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him. And he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. David, again, this is chapter 6, verse 1, if you're following in your Bibles. David, again, gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Bala Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and with cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perazuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David 
dance before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Well, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, of the host, and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And recall, the daughter of Saul had no child to the day of her death. This is the Word of God. Seeking grace is the topic of today's message, honoring God in truth. What I want to do this morning, like I said, is I want to walk you through, listen guys, my passion. I genuinely, I woke up this morning so excited because I was like, I have the privilege of teaching our church the Word. I love the opportunity to help train you in the Scriptures, but I need you to cooperate with me, okay? I need you to engage with me because I have labored. It's my joy, the privilege that you provide for me to, to spend my time laboring in the Scriptures to help teach you. But I don't want to do it in vain. I want you this morning to engage this morning so that you really have opportunity to lean in and understand what's happening, but also understand why it's so significant. So here are the lessons that I want to walk through this morning. You do not need to freak out right now because we're going to walk through them one by one. So you'll have opportunity to write each line down as we get to it. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is this, in these chapters, we see this incredible renewal that's happening in the kingdom. A renewal of the kingdom itself with a new king, a renewal of unity with a new capital, a renewal of favor with new alliances, a renewal of victory with new territory, and a renewal of God's presence with a new location of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to walk through them one by one. This was my promise, and I hope that you'll take notes this morning. Because in each one of these lessons, I'm going to point out the important things that are happening, but I'm also going to point out the important spiritual truths that I believe we need to learn. So let's start with number one, renewed kingdom. And verses one through five, which actually Rob taught so faithfully last week, but I want to try to connect what's happening in the story at the beginning part of this chapter to what's going to happen at the end of this chapter, because it's important that you understand what is really going on. But in the first five verses of chapter five, 
what we see is this renewal of the kingdom of Israel. And namely, what we see happening is a new king being recognized in the nation. And we know that that king is David. Now, the pivotal moment here is we know David had been anointed privately somewhere probably around 15 or so years before this moment in chapter 5, which, by the way, is why this moment in chapter 5 is so, so amazing. Because it has been so long that David believed the promise of God that he would become king, and he has waited upon God again and again and again through great struggle and hardship, and not always perfectly, but he has waited upon God. And then finally the day comes that he sees God fulfill his promise. Now, in these verses, he is publicly anointed. Remember, in chapter 2, we saw him anointed over just the tribe of Judah, like his hometown tribe. Y'all remember that? But it's now, here in chapter 5, that all of the tribes, there's 12 tribes in Israel, and the rest of the tribes, the other 11, are all coming together here. Look at the Scripture in your Bibles, just to help you see what's going on. Verse 3 says, all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron. So if you're wondering, what's the difference of this moment versus chapter 2? The difference is, this is everybody, the entire nation. It'd be like all 50 states in the United States instead of just Texas or Florida, who typically like doing their own things. You know what I'm talking about? Um, instead of just them doing something, it would be like everybody coming together to recognize something. This is an incredible moment of unity. And they all come together with King David, and he makes a covenant, and they're anointing him as their rightful leader. This is an incredible moment, a pivotal moment for David. But what makes it so pivotal is those verses there, and look at verse 2 in your Bible. Because Rob touched on this last week, but if you look back at the Scripture, verse 2, it says, and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. What's so cool about this moment, you friends, is that the lesson that we see here, and it was the lesson that was covered last week, but the pivotal lesson here is that God is faithful to keep His promises. The people are coming together and they're going, we are wanting to seek grace. And friends, if you want to seek grace in your life, here's what you got to know. Not, is it, not what is it that I want to do, but what is it that God is doing? The right question to ask is not what is happening, but what is God doing? And when you seek to align yourself with what God is doing, He will bless you. You'll be walking in the blessing of God. So often we try to come up with our own agenda and submit it to God for His blessing rather than seeking God and His agenda and saying, God, what are you doing because it's already blessed? And in that way we can seek grace. But what we see here in this moment is that God is doing something. He is faithful to keep His promises. And friends, like Rob taught last week, I'll just give you one verse from Hebrews 6, verse 12. One of the things that God wants for us in our lives is to recognize that it, through faith and patience, we can inherit the promises of God. God is faithful. There is no question about that. God meant what He said to David, and here in chapter 5, He's bringing it about. That's not in question, the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. The question is, will we wait upon Him? And that's what we see as a lesson here, because 
not only do we see that God is faithful to keep his promises, but we also realize that God matures his people in times of waiting. We all hate waiting, right? But it's in waiting upon God that we often see God do such incredible work. God is more concerned with our character than he is our circumstances. And sometimes we pitch a fit and complain about our circumstances, and yet all the while through our circumstances, God is at work to refine our character and bring us closer to Christ. And it's the same with David. Through the time of waiting, it was actually in the waiting that God was preparing him for the moment that he'd be ready to be a king. One of the worst things that can happen to a man or woman is that their, their popularity grows before their maturity. And God knew the perfect time for David to be given the rightful role as king, a time when he was ready, and we see that God does that. Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72, I'll give you just briefly before I move on to the next one, because again, this was largely covered last week. But I just want to remind you of how beautiful God's work is in our waiting. It says in Psalm 78, 70, 72, he chose David his servant. And he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. It's amazing that David had been a shepherd. And God would use what he had experienced in that previous time in his life and even in the time of his waiting to be about the work of preparing him for the very thing that God knew he would be walking into. Your waiting is not wasted with God. God is at work as we wait. And one thing you can know is that God is faithful to his promises. So part of seeking grace is knowing, God, where are you at work? And God, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you and wait upon you. This morning, I just wonder, before I move on, Maybe there's something in your life, some promise of God in the scripture or given to you in your life that you're still waiting upon him for. And I just want to encourage you, he's faithful. And while you're waiting, he is working. Continue to seek him as you wait upon him. Amen? The second lesson is not only do we see this renewal of the kingdom, but it begins to spiral out. So now that David has been given the opportunity to actually have leadership and authority over all of the nation, Here's what we know. David in the scripture is called a man after God's heart, right? And there's a reason for that. Sure, he's messy. He's not perfect. None of us are. Hope of this book, hope of the story is not David, but it's God and his faithfulness and redemption of grace. I've already covered that. But yet we know David had a heart for God. And David does some cool things, some good things after God's heart. In verses 6 through 10, we see a renewal of unity. And if you're trying to understand uh, these verses, what we're, what we're talking about in these verses here, 6 through 10, is really David setting up a new capital. Go to your Bible and look at verse 6. You might scratch your head sometimes in Scripture, and you go, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. And you're going, the Jebusites, here's another ites, right? It's all the ites in this Old Testament. I just, here's another one. What are, you know? And you just kind of scratch your head and go, gee, Willikers, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Gee, Willikers, by the way, is a phrase from Georgia. I'm not sure what that means either. But um, what you, if you continue reading, though, what you see is that in verse 9, for instance, David ends up uh, getting to 
to the stronghold there where the Jebusites were, and he ends up naming it the city of David. So you might just be thinking, well, this is another random battle with another random tribe, and it's another opportunity here that God is bringing the victory. But the reality is it's much more significant than that. The pivotal moment here is this. David is deciding here in this moment, and guys, this has ripple effects into the rest of Scripture, so I really need you to lean in and understand what's going on. It's in this moment right here that God is leading David to establish a new center for his people, the people of Israel, a new capital. David could have kept his capital, right, at Hebron. That's where he is, was set up with the tribe of Judah before this moment. Or he could have gone to Ishbosheth's capital at Mayanim. But he chose instead, rather than lingering in the past, he established like that stuff can be let go. What's more important in this moment is the unity of the nation and a renewal, a new beginning that can be marked by a new season of God. So what David is doing is letting the past go. He's not getting hung up in what was. He's moving forward to what could be. And he's choosing this Jebusite city, which we now know as, y'all know? Jerusalem, right? Even to this day, one of the most famous historical cities in all of the world. This is where, this is it. It gets named Jerusalem. It formerly was this little city that was held by the Jebusites. Now, what's so cool about it, I'm going to nerd out with you for a second. Any nerds in the room? All right, thank you for the three of you who are willing to be honest. Um, maybe it's only three of us. That's okay. We're in good company. Um, I'll give you a map, okay? Because one of the things that you can see here with the, with the nation of Israel is that here are the 12 tribes. They're all color-coded by tribes. You can see the territories that were allotted. But look right here. This is David's tribe right here with Judah, this green one. And this is Saul's tribe right here with Benjamin, this orange one. So what David is doing, he's picking a city that right here, literally right in the middle of Saul's tribe and David's tribe. He's moving toward unity. And he's establishing a new city, Jerusalem, that will become from this point forward the centerpiece of so much of the biblical narrative. Pretty cool, right? What lessons can we learn here? Well, one lesson is this. God genuinely desires unity among his people. If you want to seek grace from God, then one of the things you know is you will walk in the grace of God when you are a person who chooses to let go of selfish interest and pursue the interest of God and others above your own. It took a lot of humility. David could have been like, I told you so. David could have been like, hey, yo, Judah recognized me for years. How come you just now coming around? We're giving Judah the rightful place, setting up capital of Hebron. It's about time that y'all got on board. But he didn't do that. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the glory of God. And he was thinking about the unity of people. Philippians 2 says, we've got to be careful, friends, because all of us in our heart can end up in a place where you just get pursue selfish interest. All of us have a tendency and a temptation to be incredibly self-centered and selfish in our lives. 
But for us as believers, we don't live for ourselves. We live for God, and we live for the good of other people. Because of all He's done in Jesus Christ, we have His mind among us, a mind of humility, a, a heart that seeks unity. Friends, so many of the things that we are tempted to fight about and divide over are not essential things. God calls us to let go of essential things so that we can pursue unity. (laughs) Excuse me, that is totally wrong. To let go of non-essential things so that we can pursue unity in the essential things. Y'all see what I'm saying? And this is one of the things that God, I really believe, is helping us see. Seeking grace, David, a wonderful leader, looking for opportunity for unity. But more than that, it's less about just David's choice to pursue unity, and it's more, once again, about God's faithfulness to his people. Because here, what we see in this moment is God actually leading David and leading his people to a victory that would essentially set up what we know from beginning to end were the eternal purposes of God. Jerusalem would become that place that would be known for God's presence. It would become a symbol among all the nations. It would have such an incredible role, not only in the Old Testament, but even for us understanding the gospel in the New Testament. I'll put up just a brief example of some of the significance of Jerusalem. For instance, I say that this is God establishing His purposes because even this in Deuteronomy 12, 1 to 7, God had told His people, I will give you a permanent place. I'm going to give it to you. I have a place, and it's going to be set up among your tribes, and it's in that place where you will encounter me. You will worship me. You will see and experience me. And in fact, friends, God is fulfilling His promise in Deuteronomy 12 here in this moment in 2 Samuel 5. Later on in the book, we'll see that David is going to purchase property here in this place that's going to become the site of the future permanent tabernacle, the temple, right, that Solomon would build. And we see in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, how heavenly Jerusalem would become a symbol of the covenant of the grace that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And in the Scriptures, in Hebrews 2, 18 to 24, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we see the heavenly Jerusalem pictured as the eternal home of Christ's people, where God has set a true king on a throne in a place that is marked by his overflowing presence. It's a pretty cool moment here, right? Once again, in this moment, seeing God is faithful, and God in the little things, what might look to you like little moments of life, God is sovereign and presently at work establishing His purposes. And His purposes are good, and you can trust Him. You can. So we go to the next section. One of the things that we see is not only a renewal of the kingdom, a renewal of unity, but in verses 11 to 16 of chapter 5, we see a renewal of favor. Pretty cool. It might not look like a big deal, but what I want to point out to you is in this moment, there are some new alliances that are being formed. If you look at your scripture and you look at verse 11, right? As soon as this city is set up, the city of David, which becomes Jerusalem, it says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, 
sent messengers to David. So here you go, you got a king who's not a man. What we know about Tyre is these people didn't love the Lord. In fact, they were idolatrous. They were what the Old Testament would refer to as pagan. They're people who just really didn't care about God, and they certainly weren't desirous to be surrendered and submitted to him. And yet, look at here, is what we say in Georgia. Look at here. Here's a guy coming out of the blue, seems like, and what's he stepping forward to do? It looks like Christmas time for David, right? Hey, all of a sudden, I got a bunch of carts and stuff coming in with tons of supplies. He sends, look at it, messengers, trees. He's sending lumber. He's, King of Tyre went to Home Depot, dude. He bought out the whole section. He's like, here you go. He sent carpenters. Not only did he send the wood, but he sent guys to help and masons. Here's a guy who is just flooding in supplies, both in terms of material goods and also people. For what purpose? To help David build a house. In other words, to help him build this new city, the city of Jerusalem. It's an amazing moment, incredible moment. The pivotal moment here is this. I just described it, but Hiram here is proactively seeking to form a new political alliance with David. Now, you might go, well, duh, you know, when a new president is elected here in the United States, all the presidents of the other countries call, like the guy or not, because, you know, it's kind of a big deal. It's good to, you know, it's keep your friends closer, your enemies closer, right? It's the whole thing is like, you know, it's good to, it's politically expedient, helpful to keep him as a friend. Okay, well, you can write it off as regardless of what you do, but the reality is provision is being sent from another nation to help provide for new capital construction. And the reason I even point this out for you guys is that I believe it does have spiritual significance. If you look at your Bible at verse 12, after this happens, what does the Bible say there? That David knew as this happened, David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Pretty cool, right? Like in this moment, David's like, man, how cool is that? Like, I've been waiting on the Lord by faith. Have you all had moments where you just, you know, you're walking by faith in the Lord, and it doesn't feel like at times, like, you have a lot to, like, show for it. And then all of a sudden, you see God, like, show himself faithful, and he begins to answer prayers. And then sometimes there are moments in life where it just feels like one thing after another thing happens, and it just overflows in this feeling of, like, wow, like, God, you are showing up, and you are showing out. Like, I, there's no way for me to deny that God is in this right now. You know what I'm talking about? This is a spiritually significant moment. Now, here's the lesson that I believe we can learn. First of all, we see, listen, one thing you got to know about God, his name is Jehovah Jireh. From, from all time past to this day and until all time future, he is a God who is a provider. Where there is need our God has said, I provide. He revealed his name first to Abraham in Genesis 22. We see his provision ultimately at the cross where God provided his one and only son for us. And to this day, we know the promise is that God will supply all of our needs, Philippians 4, according to the riches of his grace. Our God is a providing God. 
Do you have a need today? If so, go to God because he has promised to you his provision. God provides for his people and he provides for his purposes. And David is learning that. And here's the other thing. This is the head scratcher. It's like, how cool is this? God can bring favor and unexpected partnerships with you. (laughs) Even for people who don't even know the Lord. I, I wish I had more time to talk about this. I got stories that I could tell for days. One of the biggest ones is this building you're sitting in today. Everybody look at the walls, okay? The lights, and you're going, wow, this is, why are we looking around? Well, the reason is, here in this building, we were on our knees for years. (laughs) Literally. When we were meeting at the school, and then we went to a hotel, and our church was growing, and the rent was becoming exorbitant. We were getting kicked out more Sundays than not. It felt like inconsistency, like crazy. And some of y'all were there in that season. And you remember that we were like, God, here's what we can afford. It doesn't look like much. The loaves and fish. You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't look like much. But here we are. And our heart is for you. And we don't have a lot. But God, we're trying to walk by faith. And we want a place that we can welcome people in and use as a hub of ministry, not for ourselves, but for you, God. Would you help us? And then one day, long story short, you can read about it. I don't want to get into it, but one day in a coffee shop, not far from here, I end up in a conversation with the CEO of Allsock St. Jude. And that conversation led into an opportunity to move into a partnership with St. Jude and Allsock for the opportunity to rent this space at a long-term basis to serve this community. There is no way at that moment that I could have ever expected that. There is no way after the contract was signed, I did it with a little bit of a shaky hand because I was like, I cannot believe this is real. And yet the building we're sitting in today was not because we were great people or we had tons of money or we had all the connections. It's because God provides for his people and his purposes. And the article got, got written in the commercial appeal in the aftermath of that contract. The headline of the business section, it's on the wall out there in the lobby, you can read it. It says, prayer answered. Because the only testimony we have for being here today is that God is a faithful God who provides for his people. Amen? And sometimes that provision comes in the most unexpected ways. I don't know what needs you have today, but here's what I know. You can seek grace from God. As you seek him, you can trust that he will be gracious to you and provide for you, and he can do it even in the most unexpected ways. Some, something that just totally out of the blue. Some of y'all have stories to tell. I see the, the heads nodding, but I just want to encourage you to continue to seek the grace of God. Amen? The fourth lesson we see, not only renewed kingdom, renewed unity, renewed favor, but we have here a lesson of renewed victory. I'm going to be really quick with this because I want to spend the bulk of the remainder of the time on the last one. But we see renewed victory. If you look at verse 17 of the scripture, what we see is that shortly after David becomes king, here we go again, perpetual enemy of Israel, the Philistines. I always picture these guys as really bad dudes, kind of smelly. The Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, and they went up to search for David. In other words, they're like, ha, ha, ha. It wasn't a big deal when he was in Hebrew, but now he's taken over. We coming for you, dude. And they go looking for him. Well, David goes and hides, and the Philistines come, and they spread out for a battle. Now, the pivotal moment here described is that 
David here in this moment desires so much for God to bring the victory to the nation against the Philistines. Why is this? Because Saul and his perpetual lack of repentance and his disobedience and hard-heartedness had not sought the help of God in so many of his battles against the Philistines. And again and again, the people have been defeated, humiliated, territory that should have been theirs taken away. And David is going, God, I am, this is a new day, God, and I want you, God, to bring victory. He's seeing it as an opportunity to reclaim some of the territory that had been lost, but also to, more importantly, show everybody. Like, this God that we know and serve, he is a great God. He is the best. He's the most glorious. He can do all things for those who trust him. And what we see here is in the scripture, if you look at verse 19, what's so cool about this is that David is very different than Saul. Friends, I don't know what battles you face, and I don't know how you fight them, but the way to fight battles for us as believers in God is on our knees. Some trust in chariots, Psalm 20 verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. That was Saul, trusting in what he could do. But we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't trust in what we can do, we trust in what God can do. And here we see a new day in the kingdom where God is going and saying, I mean, David is going and saying, God, I need you. Help me. What are you, what do you, what are you doing here? Shall I go? I'm not going to presume upon this. How do you want me to fight this battle, God? You know my heart for you. Are you how are you going to do this? And God tells him, go up. I'm going to give him into your hand. Well, in fact, there was a massive victory for Israel that day. And in fact, it says in the later verses that they named the place of that Lord, Bel Perazim. Now, that literally means this. The Lord who breaks out. In other words, ain't God awesome? That's the common vernacular, okay? He's going, yo, like, do you know who God is? <laughs> like, he's a God who can do anything. God is awesome. And they named that place that day. Well, what's interesting is if you look at verse 22, as soon as God gives this great victory, the Philistines, you'd think they'd learn their lesson and they just keep coming back. They come back again. The Philistines came yet again, and they spread out again. Now, here's the amazing thing. You might think, okay, I beat him the first time. I'll beat him again. God told me to go up the first time, so God's going to surely bless when I go up again. And yet David doesn't do that. David doesn't assume upon the Lord. He doesn't presume upon the Lord. David fights his battles on his knees, and he goes, and he goes, and he goes to God. And he doesn't assume that on the past victory, there'll be a future victory. He knows that every victory is dependent not on himself, but on the Lord. Pretty cool, right? And he inquires of the Lord. And interestingly, God doesn't do it the same way twice. And sometimes, again, we learn this in 1 Samuel 5 in that battle. We presume upon methods for success rather than the presence of God for success. But friends, methods do not bring success. God does. And we don't presume upon methods. Just because you've done it one way before doesn't mean it's going to happen the same way again. Because our hope is not in the way it happened. Our hope is in God who brings victory. And so what we see here is David inquiring the Lord, and the Lord does it a different way. And God thunders, and we read in verse 24, 25, the Lord goes out 
before them and strikes down the army of the Philistines, and there is a great victory. Friends, the lessons here, before we move to this last section, the lessons here are simple. We must seek God in desperate dependence and for his direction in every battle. If you want to seek grace, here's what you got to do. You got to seek God. Desperate dependence, a posture, we say, of abiding in his presence and longing for his power and depending upon his promises. Friends, does this describe your life? Right now, every single one of us is in a battle. This week, there were things that I was thinking that literally I was telling somebody, it was Mitchell, I had lunch with him this week and I was telling him, man, I just feel like I've been waking up with these thoughts attacking my mind that are not the truth of the gospel and I've been going to battle. I've had to go to battle. There are things that we face circumstantially in our life, in our relationships. There are battles that God is right now wanting us to have victory in, but victory does not come from our own power and victory does not come from a method. Victory comes when we're desperate enough to say, God, I can't, I need you to do it. To rely wholly upon him, to abide with his presence and to long for his power and to depend upon his promises. And friends, the other thing, that we need to learn here is that when God does it, when he brings the victory, you better name that place. The Lord broke out. Ain't God good? And that should be the perpetual testimony of our lives. People, anybody, I'm not afraid of compliments. You could come up to me today, you might not, because I don't know how you think about this message, I don't really care. You might come up and say, that was a great message, Barry, and I can receive that, I can say thank you. But friends, in my heart, what I have to do is say, God, thank you. Because if there's any good in me, it's not from me, it's from you. And that is the way we seek grace with our lives is we owe everything to him. Well, the last lesson, are y'all ready for it? Is this incredible lesson about the renewal of God's presence. The renewal of God's presence. As we get to chapter 6, you might again get to a point of going, say what? Because there's this story in chapter 6 that is all about the ark of God. And it's kind of a peculiar story. David again gathers all the chosen men of Israel, it says in verse 1 of chapter 6. And he goes and he sets out to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Now we know the ark is a centerpiece of the nation. It's the place where God's presence dwelt. It's the place that defined them as the people of God. It's the place that symbolized so much of God's provision. It was a place of atonement once a year where they would see that blood poured out over the holiness of God and anticipate that day of Jesus coming where that would be our sins would be paid once for all and that curtain torn for us to have access into the very presence of God again by the blood of another Jesus. That ark so, so important. Well, the pivotal moment here is this. David is desiring to see God's presence restored in the nation. Not just in the nation, in his life, in his leadership, and the nation as a whole. And David, in this moment, what you're recognizing is he's going, I tell you one thing that we need. I've just become king. And one thing that I want to do here at the very beginning is I've got to get the presence of God symbolized in that ark. I've got to get that ark to the center of this nation, to this new seat of power, this new seat of politics where I will reign as king. I want everyone to know 
that this moment is not about David being king. This is a moment where we are all saying, God is our true king. Happened to be led through a king named David. I love this. I love this heart. Because if you think about it, if you go back to 1 Samuel in our study, you remember the big battle of the Philistines that Saul and his sons were leading and the ark was captured? Do you all remember that story in 1 Samuel 5 and 6? Well, the ark had been captured and it got back to Israel, but they had been basically hiding it for the entirety of Saul's reign up to this point. It had been in this house of this random dude just waiting, but it wasn't in that centerpiece of the, the nation's view, the nation's story, the, the nation's power. And David is saying here, if we are going to be a nation that seeks grace and experiences blessing, then we are going to be a nation that declares God is our true king. You want to seek grace in your life? Here's how you can do it. You can put God at the center of your all. We must keep God at the center of everything just like with Moses, he said, I don't want to go from here if you don't go with me, God. David is saying, God, I cannot and I will not reign from this place force if you are not with me. The thing that we should want the most in our life is the presence of God. I wonder for you today, there's a lot of things that we can aspire to, that we desire. I was teaching our men this past week in our first launch of the Men's Bible Collective. I was just giving an intro and it turned into a sermon. Poor John Caleb, he'll never ask me to introduce anything again. But I was talking about how some boast in riches and some boast in might. Some boast in what they know. But for us, we need to boast that we know the Lord and we understand Him. There's all kinds of things in life that you can be passionate about and pursue. You can pursue the way you look. You can pursue your career advancement. You can pursue a relationship. You can pursue money in that house. You can pursue a perfect location and a health-free life. You can pursue intellect. You can pursue fame, whatever. Social media likes, I don't know what you're pursuing. But if there's anything that we in our lives should pursue, if we're going to be serious about seeking grace, is pursuing the presence of God. And that's what I see here, which is why it's so important. Now, the rest of the story I want to explain in our final moments together. Are you ready? If you look back at your scripture and you go to verse 3 and 4, what you see is that they start carrying the ark of God toward the city of David, out of the house of Abinadab. This is from the place where it's been since 1 Samuel. And you've got two guys that are with the cart, the sons of Abinadab, and they're driving. Look at this. It's a new cart. They're so excited. Look at our new cart that we made just for this. They've gotten it ready, man. Woohoo! Ark of God, and they go before the ark. And you get to verse 5 and 6, and they're all excited. Ark coming back to the center, baby. I'm just ad-libbing here, trying to help you put yourself in a story, okay? And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, cow slipped. The ones, the oxen pulling the ark stumble. And the cart, you can imagine, and what starts sliding off of the ark? I mean, of, of the cart? The ark, right? And the dudes start reaching out to touch it. 
Well, verse 7, if you look at your scripture, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the guy who touched Uzzah, and he struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. This leads to verse 9 that says, and David was afraid that day of the Lord. He's, in his heart, had a good intention. He's wanting to bring the ark back to God. They've made a new cart. They thought they were moving it to the city of David. This accident happens. This guy reaches out, touches, and then all of a sudden, like, what? What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here. You need a little Old Testament lesson. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. There's other verses in Numbers that say the same thing, but in, in explicitly, God has told his people. David has all of the scriptures. God has explicitly said to his people, not only what the tabernacle should be set up as, but as it moves from one place to another, he says, this is how you should do it. And explicitly, no one should touch the holy things of God lest they die. Now, you might go, what's the big deal? And I might go, what's the big deal? And I don't know exactly the big deal, except that I know this is what God has said. I don't always have to understand everything that God explicitly commands, but we do know the Lord is holy, and we do know the way the tabernacle was set up was to show his holiness and to show us that in our sinfulness, if you approach his holiness without atonement, there is death. And what we see here in this moment is that Uzzah disobeys by reaching out to touch what God has said, do not touch. David, in his leadership, has disobeyed in the very sense that they have designed a cart to take the ark of God rather than to carry it on poles, which is the instruction of God. Pivotal lesson here, friends. Warren Wiersbe says it best, so I'm just quoting him. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. In other words, friends, there is no amount of conformity to others that can compensate for disobedience. Where did they get the idea of the cart? Oh, that's how the Philistines sent it back to them in 1 Samuel 5 and 6. Other nations carry their stuff on a cart? Seemed like a good idea. The wheel was a pretty cool machine. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A little bit more expedient than carrying it on a heavy pole. But friends, there is no amount of conformity to others or expediency that can compensate for what you know is downright disobedience. I'll say it another way. There is no amount of unity with others that can compensate for disobedience. I don't care if you get five people together or 50 people together or 500 people together, like David got together all the elders of Israel and they're going, let's do this and here's how we're gonna do it. Friends, there's no amount of agreement with others that can compensate for a decision to disobey. Even if 500 other people in your life say, that's a fine idea. Sometimes we feel good about our sin because we've posted on social media and we get likes and likes and likes. Or we feel good about our sin because you have certain individuals that will come in your life and say, oh, God understands, he knows, it's fine. Friends, we should never feel good about sin. 
Sin is disobedience to God. And the primary issue we have in sin is not what other people think about it or do other people approve of it, but does God approve of it? What does he think about it? And friends, there is no amount of enthusiasm that can compensate for disobedience. David was sure excited, wasn't he? He was so excited, but friends, excitement does not compensate for disobedience. Jesus said in John 4, you are to worship me in spirit. That's the joy. That's the the excitement. And in what? Truth. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Friends, that's why I called this message honoring God in truth. Honoring God in truth. Because friends, God's work must be done in God's way if it's going to have God's blessing. I wonder sometimes if we don't rely more on the approval of others or enthusiasm than we do just relying on God's word. Psalm says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And David is experiencing here that as he seeks grace, he needs to do it in submission to God. Well, the second time around, as I close here, it's a lot better. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because if you read the story, 2 Samuel 6, verse 12, we read that David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. This is the second time around after that horrible moment to the city of David, and he does it with rejoicing. We know what has changed in David's heart. How do we know that? Ready for it? Hang with me for just a few more minutes. The book of 2 Samuel parallels in many ways to the book of 1 Chronicles, and it can help you understand more of the Scripture. So if you go to 1 Chronicles 15... And you look at verses 11 through 15, you see that David summons together, this is the second time around, the priest, and he tells them to bring up the ark of the Lord into the place that he's prepared for it. But look here at verses 13 to 15. Look at what has changed. David says, because you did not carry it the first time, in other words, because it was on a cart and not according to God's instruction, The Lord broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the truth, to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and they carried the ark of the Lord on their shoulders. This is according to God's truth. As Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. Do you see what's changed? What's changed is that David has said, if I want to seek the grace of God, then I've got to do it with a pure and a holy passion. I've got to do it not just with zeal, but I've got to do it in truth. And we seek the grace of God on our knees and with submission and surrender. There is nothing in our lives that can compensate for disobedience. Just because God is gracious does not mean that you can walk all over him. In fact, his grace is meant to lead you from your heart into walking in his truth. Amen? So we see the rest of the story is a party. They go out and they can't even take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! 
Let's worship Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you. <laughs> and you just see this incredible picture. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop! Let's surrender to God. And friends, if that could not be the pattern of our life, I believe that we would experience great blessing of God. Seeking grace by one, two, three, four, five, six, stopping and honoring him for who he really is. Father, thank you for this word today, and I pray you would minister to your people in the ways that you intend. Lord, we have heard from you in so many ways, and today, God, I pray that we could take to heart the things that we have heard. Thank you for teaching us about who you are, and thank you for teaching us about who you want us to be. So right now, Lord, as we move to this time of surrender, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of sin. Lord, if there are areas of our life where we're not waiting upon you, if there are areas of our life where we're not surrendered to you, if there are areas of life where we aren't seeking your presence, but we're seeking something else other than you, if there are areas of life where we are zealous but not diligent in honoring you in truth, Lord, I pray you convict us and show us, Lord, that you right now are ready to forgive us. Right now, by your blood and your love for us, you are ready to forgive us and to give us a renewal. Similar to the renewal that was brought in the kingdom, God, you can bring a renewal right now in our hearts and lives as we seek you and surrender to you. Thank you, God, for the outpouring of your blessing as we seek you and your grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to him. And as we do, there's elders and prayer counselors coming down front. You're welcome to come and respond to God. Uh, pray with someone specifically. But right now as we sing, I just pray that you'll do so with an open heart and truly a desire to experience him as we sing these words. Give me one true and holy passion. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close... We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.